This is the Overtime Podcast Network. You're listening to the Huddle Up Podcast with Chad Jensen and Zach Kelberman. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com and sound off. And now it's time to drop some knowledge. Welcome in, everybody, to the Huddle Up Podcast, presented, as always, by Mile High Huddle and 24-7 Sports. I'm your host, Chad Jensen. Not with me today, as usual, is Zach Kelberman, my co-host, had to take a day off as it relates to the podcast. I'll let him uh, tell you why, if he so chooses, he needs a little time off, but that's okay. We wish him well. He's Everyone needs a little bit of time away for certain scenarios. Certain uh, things come up that you got to take care of business. So we'll have Zach back in the saddle tomorrow for Tuesday's episode, so don't you worry. But in the meantime, we have a great show planned for you today. Here in just a minute, I'm going to introduce our guest for the show. But in the meantime, first, a couple of matters of business. You guys, make sure you're following the Huddle Up podcast on Twitter. Real easy to do, at Huddle Up Pod. Right now, odds tell me you're listening to the show with your mobile device. So while you're listening, exit out. The podcast episode will continue to play. Open up Twitter, find at Huddle Up Pod, and click follow. It's as simple as that. Here's why you want to do that. It gives you access to the show. You got your finger on the pulse of the show. There are going to be times just like today where I'm going to put a call out on Twitter looking for your questions or looking for your comments and engagement on a particular matter, ideas for shows, uh, questions. So that's how you stay engaged. And if you want access to the show, you do want to stay on top of everything that's happening with the Huddle Up podcast in real time. The easiest way to do that is to follow the show on Twitter at Huddle Up Pod. Also, if you haven't done so, take some time to leave a creative review wherever you're listening to the show and give us a five-star rating. I just took a peek a day or two ago to see how we're looking on iTunes as it relates to our reviews, and we have had a lot more. The last time I looked, we were at like 60-something reviews, which compared to the amount of people who listen to this podcast, it's a fraction. It's a drop in the bucket. I mean, we have many thousands of people who listen to this podcast episode in, episode out, but only well, the last time I had looked, 60-some-odd reviews. But this last time, a day or two ago, I, I peeked in to see we're up into the 80s now. So for those of you who have heeded our calls to action to leave a creative re- review and rate the show, we very much appreciate you. You have no idea how much that helps us. And for those of you who have not taken the opportunity to do that, especially on iTunes or if you're listening on Stitcher or CastBox, especially those three services, those three apps for listening to podcasts, especially crucial to help do your part in keeping the show healthy and growing the show, reaching new listeners. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. 
Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. And now I welcome in our guest, our regular guest on the Huddle Up podcast. You guys know him. You guys love him as MileHighHuddle.com's senior draft analyst. He's been rocking Broncos and draft content alongside me since 2013, I believe. Eric Trickle. Eric, what's good, brother? Not much. Just been working on bettering myself, and I'm really sore from doing that, but I'm feeling a lot better. <laughs> feeling a lot better mentally and in a way physically too yeah i mean there's no doubt about it last we were talking off air that last year i i lost 25 pounds had a little bit of a a uh, nutritional you know epiphany i decided to change some things up so there's light at the end of the tunnel my brother yeah, and uh, my thing is, is that when i stepped on that scale and saw that number <laughs> it just came back what hit me was just a year ago i was 50 pounds lighter and 10 years ago i was 100 pounds lighter so it's just, yeah. I mean, even before my wedding, I was about 50 pounds lighter. So it's been a very short time that I put on those 50 pounds and I've got, I've got to drop my weight. Well, and especially for those of us, you know, you guys think, oh man, sedentary lifestyles beware. But when you are a writer, a, an analyst, you're studying film, you're, I mean, a lot of the time you are in front of your laptop. And you know, one thing that I did that helped me out is I, I think I saw it on Facebook. It like scrolled through my free, my feed. And then eventually after a few times of th- seeing this thing, I finally clicked on it. And then I was like, Oh, that's rad. But it's a, you know, it's like a stand up platform. So you can stand up at your, at your laptop. Mm-hmm. It's like a, I can't remember what they call it, but, and you, it goes into many different positions. So like, let's say I'm working and I'm throwing up a, an article or something or copy editing something you sent me for the website. And my kids are like, Hey dad, you know, come watch this show with this. Instead of being tethered to my office, I can pick up my laptop, go sit down with this thing in front of me on the floor, and now I got this, like, mobile desk. It's pretty cool. Oh, that's pretty cool. But I try and actually, you know, I have, I've kind of gotten a little bit lax on it. I need to turn this, this ship around and get back to what I was doing. But at least half the time, I'm standing when I'm at my laptop now, and it just kind of helps. I don't know. I think it has a lot of uh, residual effects, but I don't feel like I'm as sedentary as I would otherwise. So check it out. But uh, kudos to you, my brother. That's great. That's good news. Now, one thing that uh, I wanted to talk to you about is, and we talked a little bit about it before we jumped on air here, is Eric Dungy. Now, the last time you and I, now for those listening, this is the Syracuse quarterback who Eric basically got me onto this kid's path. and I've watched a lot of film on him. He's a really, really intriguing 
quarterback prospect. But the last time you and I talked about it, Eric, you couldn't really put your finger on why this kid didn't have momentum on his draft stock. Have you learned anything more about Eric Dungy since the last time we addressed the topic? I have. And the big thing has been he hasn't been able to stay healthy. Every single year at Syracuse, he's gotten hurt. And they haven't been super serious, but they've been they've been serious enough to be concerning to NFL teams. And when you add in his play style, because he doesn't always shy away from the hits, especially when he's running, it's it's very concerning for NFL teams. So only thing I've heard has been the injuries and then just the standard stuff like concerns about his throwing motion, concerns about his reads and things like that. But it's definitely the injuries are the ones that are is the thing that's setting him that's yeah. keeping him back, I should say. Right. And if for those of you who haven't had the opportunity or taken the time yet to go watch some of his film, and by the way, in case those of you who don't know, anytime you hear us mention a, a prospect's name or that we're watching film, I mean, we're not putting on a, you know, a roll of film in the old office and turning on the projector and watching film. Most of these players have cut-ups on YouTube. So you too, most of you know this, some of you might not, but so you too can go onto YouTube at any time. You search a player or a school's name and you can watch film on this player. But here's what Eric Dungy, uh, Eric just talked about the fact that this kid, you know, he doesn't shy away from contact and he is a very mobile, very athletic quarterback and he's big. He kind of reminds me, Eric, of Tim Tebow, but with a more polished uh, passing platform, a more polished yeah. acumen as a, as a passer. Yeah, that, that was one thing that definitely came to mind when I was watching him was a much better version of Tim Tebow. I mean, not just the quarterback stuff. I mean, that is 100 times better, but there's still a ways to go. But even as a runner, is he's a little bit quicker with his running. He's a little bit more decisive with his running. Whereas Tebow, a lot of times, was he was just lowering his head and just going. Dungy is reading defense. He's like he's using ball carrier vision, his vision, to right. find open running lanes, and that's something that's also better than something Tebow did. Now it didn't end up serving Chad Kelly all that well, really, in the NFL. But you know, one way that he kind of grew his legend is he's the guy that beat Alabama, right? He's the guy in college that went toe-to-toe, et cetera, et cetera. And Dungy kind of has a similar legend in that he's the guy that beat Clemson, and he almost beat him twice, similarly to how Chad Kelly almost beat Alabama twice. But that was – if you know if you want a, a snapshot onto this player, go check out – go to YouTube and search Eric Dungy uh, versus Clemson and – 2017, I believe, Eric, was the year he defeated Clemson. Yep. And then this past year, he had a solid lead on him through most of the game. Um, and he even lucked out in having Trevor Lawrence exit the game early. And then they battled back. I can't remember who that backup quarterback was at, at Clemson, but they battled back. So let, let me ask you this as it relates to Eric Dungy, and then we'll move on here in our conversation. But where do you see this kid? You know, a lot is left to play out in terms of the pre-draft process. We got the combine coming, we got the pro days, et cetera. But where are you seeing this kid go when, he, you know, where's it going to be when he hears his name called on draft day? When I watched him, I was thinking definitely third round. Then, I mean, I knew the injury stuff was there, but I didn't realize just how concerning it was to teams. So I'm thinking that if he gets his name called, it's probably sixth or seventh round at the earliest. I mean, the, the concerns about his health is pretty severe. Hmm. That dis- that's disappointing I, for, in terms of me for the kid, what I'm thinking of for the kid, because he's deserving. I mean, he's a really good quarterback. That kid yeah. is really intriguing. And, you know, I would – if the Broncos miss out on a quarterback high, which we're going to talk about that, you know, the, that conversation here in just a minute. But, you know, let's say they miss on their guy in round one. You get to early day two. 
uh, day three and you're you're looking at your Daniel Joneses of the world, your Will Greers and those guys, I would much rather the Broncos just even maybe reach around uh, early and get Eric Dungy to come in and, you know, learn under Joe Flacco. Like I could be okay with that. Yeah, and I think with another thing that hurt Dungy is not being invited to the combine. I really think he should have been. Would have given teams a hands-on check for his medicals, been able to meet with him. So I'm really disappointed he wasn't. But yeah, in terms of Denver draft not missing out a guy earlier, I'd be all bored about getting Dungy. They've got a offensive coordinator and a quarterback coach who kind of focus on the technique and the fundamentals of the quarterback position, which is kind of where he needs work on on the field. So yeah. it's definitely a fit. You have Joe Flacco there who he can be the starter and you have the right coaches that are going to be working on the right things with this backup quarterback in Eric Dungy, if that's the route they go. Dude, so I didn't know that. Why wouldn't Eric Dungy, a guy who played uh Syracuse's ACC, I believe, I mean, played in a conference, beat frickin' uh Clemson, why would he not get an invite to the NFL scouting combine? That blows my mind. I'm not really sure because teams get a pick. Teams have a say in who gets invited to the combine. So I would be thinking that they have these kinds about the about medicals. They would bring him in. And there's a couple quarterbacks that are invited to this combine that absolutely have no place being there. One of them is Washington's quarterback, Jake Browning. This guy I don't see has any potential in the NFL whatsoever. And he's going. Eric Dungy, I think, actually has some potential in him. And yeah. he's not even getting invited. Hmm. Very disappointing. Well, hopefully he can uh, – so then that definitely makes a lot more sense where you're saying he's a sixth, seventh-round guy, maybe even ends up as a priority free agent, come in, you know, start off as a camp arm and see if you can make some noise. But that's real disappointing. I hope the kid get, gets a lucky break sometime between now and then because he's a very, very deserving quarterback. Now, a lot has changed, Eric, since the last time we had you on the podcast – Namely, on Wednesday, the Broncos consummated a trade that can't officially be completed until March 13th, but to acquire Joe Flacco. Why don't you tell our listeners what your gut reaction was to the Flacco trade and what you expect to see happening here in the very near future? I actually really like the Joe Flacco trade. I know there's a lot of fans out there that don't, and they just look at his contract at face value and the past few years in Baltimore where he wasn't super great and he's never been super great. He's never been a star or elite uh, despite many people's claims over the past few years, but he's a good quarterback. He can push the ball downfield and he's going to be able to, he fits what Denver wants to do offensively. One of his better years was when Gary Kubiak was his, was his offensive coordinator and the scheme that they're going to be running is pretty similar to it and pushing the uh, comes back to pushing that ball downfield. Everybody knows what Joe Flacco did on that one play in the playoffs a few years ago, Raheem Moore, Tony Carter, Robert Ayers all blew it, but threw it deep, was able to win. And they went on to win the Super Bowl. And just being able to push that ball is such a key factor because they have Philip Lindsay and they have Royce Freeman. And if you're not able to push the ball, which you're not with Case Keenum, you're just able, teams are just able to sack the boxes and defend the run and dare you to beat them deep. They can't do that with Flacco because he will push it. He will he will take those chances. Doesn't always pay out, but he'll do it. And he also has a pretty good track record of improving the talent around him. I know he's had some talent around him with uh, Anquan Bolden and Torrey Smith and Mike Wallace and Todd Heap and Derek Mason, Steve Smith. But a couple of those guys, Smith and uh, Torrey Smith and Mike Wallace specifically, mm-hmm. 
fit what he wants to do. They were able to be those deep threats where he could push the ball downfield and get them. They had that speed to be a deep threat. Yeah. But, I mean, he's taken a guy like Kamar Aiken and helped him get to a 940-yard year. Yep. Like, he's helped a lot of guys improve. There's a few things about him that I learned. You know, I'll, uh, I'll be honest. I didn't spend a whole lot of my life researching Joe Flacco until I had a reason to, right? Like, once the Broncos officially, you know, got this thing done, I went down the rabbit hole of studying Joe Flacco and learning a little bit more about him so that I could formulate my own opinion on the trade. And there's a couple things on his resume, Eric, that give me, you know, reason to be optimistic. And there's the first two things is he's the only quarterback that I know. I'm pretty sure he's the only one who can say he beat both Tom Brady and Peyton Manning in the playoffs in their own house. And in Flacco's case, it happened in the same season. He beat the Broncos at home in the divisional round. You talked about the Raheem Moore play. Went to the AFC Championship game in the next week and beat Tom Brady to advance uh, to the Super Bowl where he defeated the San Francisco 49ers, became Super Bowl MVP. So there's that, which, you know, some people will argue – the, the negative Nancys out there will say, oh, yeah, well, that's great, but, you know, what have you done for me lately? That was six years ago or whatever. And it's a fair point. But the other thing that's really interesting to me, actually two other things. One, Eric, is the fact that only Tom Brady has more playoff wins in the NFL at the quarterback position since Flacco entered the league in 08. So he's got 10. He's been to 50, He's played in 15 playoff games. I mean, we talk about Case Keenum getting a two-year deal, $25 million guaranteed, $36 million total value for appearing in two playoff games, winning one. The Broncos just got themselves a quarterback who's appeared in 15 playoff games, has won 10, has a Super Bowl. So that's another thing. And then lastly is the fact that he's 9-4 and four all time against the other three AFC West teams. So you add all those things together, you team him up with a, a West Coast-style quarterback whisperer, if you will, in Rich Gangarello. And I think there's reason for fans – to be a lot more optimistic about this particular acquisition than, say, the Case Keenum one. Yeah, it's being able to get that fierce competitor in the playoffs because it was just last month when the in the Ravens playoff game that everybody, analysts, fellow NFL players, fans, were sitting there saying that Baltimore needs to bench Lamar Jackson and put Joe Flacco in because what he can do in the playoffs. He consistently plays very well in the playoffs, and it doesn't matter against who. As you said, he's gone, he's gone into both Denver or Indianapolis, beat the Colts or the Broncos led by Peyton Manning. He's beaten Tom Brady in Foxborough. He's beaten, beaten Ben Roethlisberger in Pittsburgh. He's beaten top-tier quarterbacks in their home stadiums. And that's something that's really attractive to a lot of teams is because it shows that the spotlight doesn't phase him. And that's something that you just can't underestimate and then you have that for and then you get all that his playoffs his 10 and 5 playoff record his ability to compete and not get drowned out by the lights and you get that for three years i can't remember how much total money's on there but there's no guaranteed money left on his deal right so if he goes out there and he gets and he gets hurt or he absolutely stinks it up denver's able to cut bait and just be like see ya so basically if they're able to trade case keenum they're paying $500,000 more this year for Joe Flacco and Case Keenum than they were just Case Keenum. I'll take that trade off any day. Absolutely. And I like the phrase you used, fierce competitor. Now, that is something that I don't think should be thrown around lightly. And in fairness, I do think you can apply 
to a quarterback who has 10 playoff wins in 11 seasons in the NFL. So there is a certain something, a certain, you know, oomph that a quarterback who is a fierce competitor, when you get to the playoffs, what happens? The level of intensity goes up a few notches. The level of urgency in which teams and coaches uh, play, it just goes up to that next level. And so you got to have a quarterback who can acclimate and rise along with that. And I think Joe Flacco has proven in, you know, he might not bring Star Wars numbers. He's not going to light up the box score like Broncos fans have, you know, seen from Peyton Manning in the days of yore. But he is a player that he is a quarterback that if you have the right pieces around him, you have a strong defense, hence Vic Fangio, hence Von Miller, Bradley Chubb, Chris Harris. You've got a lot of those pieces already in place to just plug and play defensively. You put some, you know, you build the offensive line around him. You give him some time to build a chemistry with his offensive coordinator. And you push if you can get to the playoffs. Because let's not forget, the year he won the Super Bowl, the Ravens were a wild card team. And so that's what it takes. If you can get to, you know, we you can't ask for the world. So let me ask you this question, Eric. Considering the lay of the land, the AFC West being what it is, do you think the Joe Flacco acquisition, you know, not knowing what's going to happen in the draft, not knowing what's going to happen yet in free agency, do you think that's an acquisition that at least puts the Broncos a step or two closer to being able to compete in the AFC West and thus push for a playoff berth? I really do. And I know Denver's coming off a 6-10 and 10 season, but some of those 10 wins were very close games. Both Kansas City games, the St. Louis game, couple others those are games that Denver nearly won and a lot of the reason why they didn't wasn't just the defense or anything like or the offense it some of it fell on the quarterback it fell on Case Keenum not being able to do the things that you want I mean yeah we, we were able to come back and beat the Seahawks and the Raiders early on in the season because he made some great throws but he wasn't able to do it consistently and with Joe Flacco is you have that guy who if you're down seven and you're and it's coming up with like the final three minutes of the game, you're able to push that ball. You don't have to sit there and try to push it, push it deep, push it downfield and worry about your quarterback's lack of arm strength, not being able to get it there. Because again, that's something we saw quite a bit with case with case Keenum. That's not a worry with Joe Flacco. I think that had we had him last year, I think that Denver would have probably won two or three more games than they actually did. Hmm. Which puts you at least in the conversation for that final wild card spot that the Ravens ended up getting, you know. So, I mean, it's a good point because we had Benjamin Albright on the show this past week, and he referenced a conversation he had with a Broncos coach who said that, you know, when you're comparing, I mean, statistically, I don't know who came up with this. It's not hard. You can go look at the past three seasons of Keenum and the past three seasons of Flacco, put them on paper, and on the surface, it's almost sixes, right? But what and so Ben was talking about how you know he's asking the coach that being the case why Flacco et cetera et cetera and the coach basically said that you know the big difference between Case and Joe Flacco is that because of Joe Flacco's arm it forces the defense to cover every blade of grass on the field. Yep, that, that's exactly right. Is we saw Case Keenum he really struggled on those balls fifteen twenty yards deep. And a lot of times he wasn't able to put enough oomph on it and it ended up intercepted. So teams just teams knew they didn't have to worry so much about it. They were able to focus up on the short game and the running game. And that's how they were able to defend 
the Broncos offense and Bill Musgraves didn't do enough to find creative answers for it either. So it wasn't just all on Keenum, but it was just an issue with everyone. And, but it starts with what is your quarterback able to do for you? And Keenum wasn't able to do a lot for the Broncos offense. Yeah. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, let's uh, t- do a quick transition, and then we'll uh, cut you loose, Eric. There's a few questions in the mailbag, the Twitter mailbag, because as you know, this show, we pride ourselves on being the football priest for Broncos country, and each and every week, we offer the absolution and answers to Broncos country's burning questions, and we have one here from Jedi Joshua 58 who also happens to be a MileHighHuddle.com VIP subscriber. And this is directed at you, Eric. He says, overall and in the end, I think this deal, the Flacco deal, was good. Money-wise, if it doesn't work out, we can cut bait, but we got to get a quarterback. If the guy isn't there and Devin White isn't there at 10, I say trade back, load up on ammo for next year's guy, and take a Jarrett Stidham or Eric Dungy type. What would your thoughts be on this, Eric? If if Devin White's not there and Drew Locke's not there, then I'd be looking at trading down. I think you can get one of those three cornerbacks that Denver could definitely use, DeAndre Baker, Byron Murphy, or Greedy Williams. You could probably trade down five, ten spots and still pick up one of them. And I'd be really keep an eye on DeAndre Baker because he's a perfect fit for Fangio's defense. And you get a guy right away, and you get those extra picks that can you can use to – pick up more talent this year, young talent this year, or hopefully get a pick next year. But if you get that talent this year, is that provides a little bit more flexibility with the picks you have next year because you won't need quite as much young talent. You'll be able to use some of that ammo to trade up. And then as for taking a quarterback like Stidham or Dungy, I'd be all about it. I'd even be looking at with Joe Flacco. I wouldn't even mind or hesitate look giving a look at Tyree Jackson, the big Buffalo quarterback. Mm-hmm in like the sixth or seventh round, maybe even the fifth. But yeah, I'm definitely all aboard on that. That was one of the caveats, you know, in my talk about a gut reaction, you know, you marinate on things as they happen. And sometimes it takes time for things to clarify in terms of your analysis. And, you know, I might not feel quite as strongly about what I'm about to say today as I did on last Thursday or Friday. But I still think if John Elway can still utilize this this top 10 pick to get that quarterback of the future. I'm going to love the Flacco uh, move. I mean, I'll, I'll be honest. I'll it, 100% rubber stamp it as a move. If the Broncos end up using the Flacco acquisition to talk themselves out of going quarterback with a top 10 pick once again, I'm going to start having my doubts just because I'm going to yeah. start thinking of you know, recent history just playing out all over again. And this team a year down the road being no closer to having that future, uh, their future shored up. What were, what are your thoughts on that as far as we know this helps Elway, you know, alleviate some of the pressure Elway might have been feeling that he needed to maneuver in, top, in the top 10 to get a quarterback. So this takes some of that pressure off. But do you think it takes quarterback off the board for Denver at pick 10? 
everything I've heard, and in my personal opinion, is it doesn't. It's kind of like last year. They signed Case Keenum. They really wanted Sam Darnold or Baker Mayfield, and they were hoping one of them fell to them. They just they signed Case Keenum so they didn't feel that pressure of they had to move up. And they tried to before that as well, and they just weren't able to. The Jets ended up getting to number three before Denver could. So it's kind of the same thing is they don't feel that pressure where they have to move up. They're still hoping that their guy could fall to, will fall to them. But as you were saying, is if he's there and they pass on him, then I'd be looking a lot harder and be a lot more down on this Flacco trade than I currently am right now. If he's there, you got to take him. You can't you can't pass off another quarterback for a hope next year. The grass isn't yeah. always greener. Yep, I'm a huge believer in that. You can't. And you know, if the Broncos weren't in such a fortuitous position two years in a row to get a quarterback. I'd maybe be a little bit more amenable to the idea of kicking the can down the road. But I think, Eric, if if John Elway goes two years in a row with a top 10 pick and doesn't come out of that with his franchise quarterback of the future, and Joe Flacco doesn't hit it out of the park in 2019, I mean, John Elway might not survive to the completion of his contract, which goes out in uh, 2021. Yeah, I, I don't know about that. I think that I definitely think that he should be looked at more if that's the case. I don't think that he'll end up getting fired. I mean, again, it's just John Elway, his legend in Denver. I can't see the trust currently moving on from him. Now, if there's an ownership, if everything gets settled there, yeah. then maybe. But as long as the trust is in place and they're overseeing everything, I just don't see it. All right, let's uh, move on here to a couple more questions. This one comes, this is more of a guy kind of unburdening his soul and exercising the demons. This comes from Braden Room on Twitter. He says, personally, I think that people are comparing Flacco's stats to Keenum's a bit too much. I'm not trying to claim that Flacco is the elite or the next Peyton Manning, but if we can trade Keenum and not have to release him, I like this move because it allows our offense to do more. On that topic, Eric, have you heard anything more about Denver's efforts to try and move Case Keenum? I I know Benjamin Albright mentioned uh, Arizona as a strong, strong possibility, but what have you heard? I've heard Arizona as well. It comes down to Cliff Kingsbury coaching him at Houston back in college and before he came out. And they could use a mentor guy behind Josh Rosen. So they definitely make a lot of sense, and that's a team I've heard. I've also heard Washington as they're trying to find somebody for to take over for Alex Smith as he's hurt. And I've heard the Giants because Pat Shermer, their head coach, he got the best year out of Case Keenum. So they can use that veteran because they're going to likely be all in on Dwayne Haskins. So those are three teams I've heard, and I've heard from multiple sources that other teams as well have called, but I just haven't been able to pick out or hear anyways what team specifically. Here's one from Sons of Thunder on Twitter. I say lock this year. Some teams that are QB needy may choose to target a quarterback in 2020. I don't necessarily see them jumping jumping the number 10 pick this year. The Redskins at 15 to move up five or jump Denver, as I have seen, talked about, and then he questions why. They could position themselves for a top five pick in 2020, and the same for Miami. Now, my answer, and then I'll serve this over to you, Eric, for Sons of Thunder in that regard, is that you know a guy like Jay Gruden doesn't have all the time in the world. He's got to make hay while the sun's shining. Yeah, that's, that's exactly it. And everything I've heard with Washington is that they are in the market for a veteran quarterback. Case Keenum, as I was just talking about, and Andy Dalton. If Cincinnati moves on from him, I've heard that there is a lot of talk about Andy Dalton. There's that familiarity there as well, because Jay Gruden used to be the offensive coordinator in Cincinnati for Andy Dalton. 
I mean, his, his Jay Gruden's leash is getting shorter and shorter, and he's got to do something because he's right on that verge of getting fired. I don't think he can roll with a rookie quarterback. I think they might be looking to draft a backup, but they won't be trading up for that. I think they'll be all in for a veteran and getting a guy later on. And then as for Miami, they're going to be all in on a quarterback. A lot of word is that they'll be trying to get Nick Foles, although Jacksonville is still the favorite there. But the two quarterbacks that I've heard in the draft for Miami have been Daniel Jones and Kyler Murray. I haven't heard much love from for Drew Locke out of Miami, but that could just be to throw off my senses off that to mm-hmm. kind of keep it hidden. But I don't know. So it's just saying everything has just been Daniel Jones and Kyler Murray from Miami. Okay, you heard it from Eric. We got a couple more, and then we're going to cut Eric loose. But first, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. All right, Eric, a couple more here from the Mile High Mailbag. Thank you for joining the show and uh, making yourself available, joining the priesthood, if you will. Broncos country needs you. Here's one from Paul. He's also a VIP subscriber at milehighhuddle.com. And those of you listening who have not taken the opportunity yet to pull the trigger on becoming a VIP, here's your call to action. You go to the website, milehighhuddle.com. You look for the green banner. It says join, something to that effect. You click on it. From there, you got two options. You can either join on as a monthly subscriber or you can choose the annual membership. And obviously, just like with most things, the annual membership comes with a slight discount when you break it out over 12 months. From there, what do you get? You got access to 100% of the front page content we publish. Eric, especially during this time of year, is just putting out all kinds of scouting reports and draft content for our VIP subscribers. He is the, you know, the figurehead of Finding Broncos, which are individual scouting reports on the top prospects, the top 100 prospects of the draft, whether or not or how they fit with the Denver Broncos. When we do film breakdowns, those are only for VIPs. That's just front page style content. You also get access to our members only and staff only message boards, which is called MHH Insiders. That's where you can query questions to myself, to Eric, to Zach, to Nick Kendall, to Bob Morris, to anyone on staff. You got access to us. That's where we share our the nuggets we pick up, which from basically, Eric, between the, the months of January and May, that's when we really get the most from our sources around the NFL. And you do a great job in that regard, engaging the VIPs, sharing all the information you're picking up from sources around the league. And so as a VIP subscriber, you get access to that. And then as it relates to the podcast, it also gives you access to us on the Friday VIP Mile High Mailbags. So that, there's a lot of value there. It also supports us so that we can continue to bring you all this content we do on a daily basis. I mean, my kids, I'm forsaken raising my kids probably the right way so I can bring you Broncos content. So you can support me in that effort. Pulling the trigger, it's really easy. You go to the site, green banner, you're in. Now, Paul, he came aboard, Eric, I think uh, in January when we ran that flash sale. So he's he's kind of a newcomer, but he's been really, really active on MHH Insiders on the VIP forum. So here's a question from Twitter, though. Paul says, can we, Eric, get Penny Hart in round five? I would love it if Denver could get Penny Hart in round five. I remember when he was getting a lot of hype. It was just it was Senior Bowl week, and he was getting a lot of hype, and I hadn't watched him yet, so I'm like, okay, I'm going to see what I can find. And I turn it on, and he is one of my draft crushes. I think that he goes earlier than round five, though. I think you'll be looking at round three, round four. I mean, he's very similar to Tyreek Hill in play style and size, but Tyreek Hill had that off-field stuff. And Penny Hart, from everything I've heard, is pretty clean off the field. 
So I think that the enticing and teams wanting to get that Tyreek Hill type, that guy who can contribute on special teams, offense in so many different ways is just going to be so attractive that he's going to go, as I said, round three, round four. Yeah, he's definitely an exciting player. There's also that one clip going around of him laying that one block. Yeah. It's just, I mean, head on a swivel, yo. This next question comes from Roger, at Bronco Guy 781 on Twitter. Eric, he says, has there been any rumblings you've heard about later-round prospects that the Broncos are interested in, in particular? I've heard a lot of rumblings about different prospects, it's just it's just so many that it's hard to just come up with them and think of them off the top of my head of who they are. But one guy that I've heard a lot of talk about, and he's not so much a later round prospect, is Jermaine Pratt. I mean, you're looking for that linebacker guy. He's probably a second or third round guy. Mm-hmm. I've heard there is some interest in Penny Hart, who we just talked about. Emmanuel Hall, a Missouri wide receiver, dealt with some injuries, a deep ball threat. I've heard there's some interest there. And again, there's just been so many guys that it's hard to just – come up with them just off the top of my head without and, having and in, all this and stuff in fairness me. i didn't submit these questions to eric beforehand so he didn't he didn't have time to prepare for these questions so uh for what it's worth keep that in mind as well but penny hart back to him just for a second you know you'll look at what joe flacco has to work with in terms of weapons arriving in denver we don't know what's going to happen with emmanuel sanders but let's just assume for the sake of this conversation that he's dealt on on the trading block somewhere well now you got Cortland sutton you got tim patrick you got Deshaun. we'll see what happens with sunshine jordan taylor we'll see what happens with river craycraft but without sanders eric you need that burner that can stretch defenses yep. vertically could penny hart be that guy he definitely could and he's got that good speed but what he does best is catching those short passes and making plays that is his best suited skill set and that's something that he could definitely do and another receiver and you mentioned if they move on from emmanuel sanders if they do that i wouldn't roll out hollywood brown out of oklahoma in like the second round either because he brings that deep ball threat a guy who i believe it was he tied the ncaa on catches on plays of 40 plus 50 plus and 60 plus yards Mm. with like 11 7 and 4 or something like that. I can't remember exactly. So he's definitely that. And But back to Penny Hart is, he, well, he can do that. Again, it's just he's more of that underneath guy who catches it quickly and then makes a play. But there is definitely that speed and that agility to go be that deep threat as well. Yeah. All right, another question here comes from Dylan Von Arks. Now, last time we discussed the AAF, Eric, on, on last week's show, you hadn't had much time yet to really watch any AAF football. So I'm not sure if that's changed yet, but this question comes from Dylan. He says, do you think scouting AAF players is a good idea for the Broncos or for NFL teams? I mean, to me, it's a no-brainer. It's just an additional opportunity to evaluate and scout, Eric. But what's your answer for Dylan? It's the same. It's it's definitely it's a good idea because some of these players, they need that – they need to be playing – they need to be working on that technique and having that coaching and just playing in the game and – in the, in the NFL, they're not going to get that. So having this the AAFL and having that opportunity for them to be on the field playing, seeing them in a game environment that's a little bit higher level than than college, it definitely provides more insight for it. And you can see if there's any improvements in technique, any improvements from fundamentals. With guys who are right there at the NFL coaching level, so, so to speak, so it definitely is. I mean, you're not going to be looking for immediate starter star players, but guys who can 
be depth players. I mean, and that's basically what the double AFL is. It's guys who would be just practice squad players or just off the roster in the NFL. So for turning the bottom of the roster, which I can't remember which general manager it is, but there's one that always talks about how you should always be turning that the bottom of the roster. Right. The double AFL is definitely a great way to do that. You know, I've talked on the podcast a few times um, about this book I've read. I've finished it now, but it's called War Room. And it's basically written about the f- initial dynasty of the Patriots. So let's say up until the 18-1 and season, right? That first group of coaches, Charlie Weiss was there for a while. Romeo Cornell, they eventually left. And then that next generation that rose up behind them in Josh McDaniels, etc. One thing that was really interesting, Eric, about that read, and I recommend it to everybody. I was blessed to have Doc Bear bequeath that book to me and send it to me on uh, UPS and amongst many other great football books that I'll be telling you all about as I get through them. But one thing that jumped out to me is it talks a lot about their how, how Belichick honed his scouting philosophy and system dating back to Cleveland, how he kept a lot of the same heads around him. So he was able to hone this, this scouting system that ended up paying such massive dividends for the Patriots in the early 2000s. And one of the things that they talk about is when they make a draft pick, it doesn't matter where in the draft, that player is drafted to either have an immediate role on the team or he is drafted because the the team the Patriots believe that he can replace X player at his same position next year. And so, you know, you you think about it, the way the Broncos might approach this coming draft, there are some players there that the that the team's going to be looking at at needing play uh, prospects who can step in and either replace guys production now or in the next season. Yeah, definitely, and that's just a smart way and that goes with turning the bottom of the roster. Like because with turning the bottom, you don't know if a guy's going to come out of nowhere. But finding these guys to replace them, it's it's smarter drafting because you're putting an onus on being able to get these guys sooner instead of trying to hope that you can develop them. You're looking for guys who can come in and contribute. And that's something that I think that Denver is getting closer to doing. I think that they still have some steps to go to get there. But if they can get that and they can get that system down like the Patriots have – then it would help with cap going forward. It would help with a lot of decisions going forward. Yeah. And it would make a make a thing like letting Matt Paradis walk look not as bad because that's kind of what they were doing with Sam Jones is they were looking at him for to be a potential center to potentially move on from Matt Paradis. And it looks like that's the situation yeah. we're coming up on. Speaking of which, uh, two more questions that we're going to get to before we cut you loose. But while we're on the topic, Last year, as we're as football's going on, the Broncos are playing, et cetera. I was of the opinion, knowing this was even before and after Paradis got hurt, that you know he was a guy from a symbol perspective. The Broncos needed to re-sign and pay him so he could serve as that example of a homegrown guy that younger guys in the locker room can look to and say, "Look, here's the mold. Here's how you do it. If I do the same thing, work my butt off, listen to my coaches, commit, be a professional. This is what could await me." For the, with the Denver Broncos down the road. For that purpose and others, I've been bat- pounding the table that Paradis needs to be re-signed. And we know uh, in our conversations with Benjamin Albright that the Broncos made an overture that was a, an extremely low-ball offer in Paradis's eyes in December. And that's maybe you could talk more about what you've heard lately, but I'm of the opinion now, Eric, my, my opinion's kind of evolved a little bit. With Connor McGovern and with Sam Jones, I don't feel like... I'm not as, as 
you know, trigger happy to re-sign Matt Paradis, especially when you see that tweet from Jason Fitzgerald of OverTheCap.com where he's basically saying that unless you're willing to pay upwards of $11 million a year for Matt Paradis over a three-year deal or something, and that's probably what it's going to take. There's, I can't see the Broncos pointing up that kind of coin. So it seems to me that fans need to start preparing themselves emotionally for Connor McGovern or Sam Jones at center. Yeah, and I'm on record of saying that I am a strong believer that you don't pay a center – 10 million plus dollars a year simply because you look around the NFL and that's one of the easiest positions to replace. And so it's, I'm just just not Eric. I mean, you see guards, you see tackles getting paid decent coin on the open market. Why is center devalued in that sense when it seems to be they're doing much more than those guys in the trenches? I just think that it comes down to is that it's just an easier position to replace. You can get by without, the great athletes or super strong players. They just, you just got to have a good football IQ to play the position. I mean, you do have to have some strength and some athletic ability, obviously, but it's not like tackle where you're looking like for these big athletic, strong guys who can kick outside and protect the edge and plow people down the field on the run game. Same with that guard. You're not looking for those guys, those absolute maulers or athletic pulling guards. It's just, Basically, the key thing is you got to have that good football IQ to call out the blocking scheme, to call out the blitzers, to make all those reads and stuff pre-snap, and then execute pretty much double teams and hold your own against some nose tackles. And because of another aspect of it, too, is that if you fail at tackle, you tend to get kicked inside a guard. And if you fail at guard, you tend to get kicked inside at center. Right. So that's there's a, there's a lot of opportunities at center for cheap guys who can come in and play effectively. I mean, it was just a few years ago where Manny Ramirez, I mean, he wasn't a great center by any means, but he was decent. He was decent enough to get the job done. And then they had the guy before that in uh, Will Montgomery, I think is was his name. Mm -hmm. And he was effective. So, and I mean, look at where Matt Paradis is drafted. I mean, you find a lot of centers later rounds of the draft where it's cost controlled. So it's just so many elements and so many factors into it. That that's why I'm not for paying a center, and that's why I don't think that centers really get paid that much outside of a few examples. What do you think? Obviously, the scheme fit, I, I believe, would be pretty right on. But if the Broncos choose to not pony up the coin for Paradis, do you, could you see them perhaps going after Mitch Morse, who's hitting free agency from Kansas City? I don't. I think if they're letting Matt Paradis go, it's definitely with the intentions of either kicking Connor McGovern inside the center, who played really well that last year there in place of Matt Paradis or Sam Jones, who they drafted to basically, they wanted him to be a starter this year yeah. and I haven't been able to confirm it, but I had one person tell me that Mike Munchak last year really was a big fan of Sam Jones leading up to the draft. So we'll see what, I don't know how, again, I can't confirm that, Yeah. but if that is true, then I think that'll play a key element in it as well. I mean, just watching him play in the preseason, he, you know, he was hurt for two games. He had a back injury. But yeah. the two games that he did participate in, man, Sam Jones plays with a mean streak, dude. I had no yeah. idea he was that much of a freaking Hulk mad kill. Yeah. And uh, sometimes it does lead to a couple mistakes. But, I mean, it's – you hope – you have Mike Munchak, one of the best offensive line coaches in there. So you're hoping that the coaching that he's already had plus Munchak is able to improve him a lot more and cut back on those mistakes of being so aggressive that he's not making, again, he's not making those same mistakes. 
Okay, here's one more quote. Well, two more. First of which is from Kyle Smith at Real K Smith. I believe Kyle is a VIP subscriber, if I'm not mistaken, as well. His question, Eric, is who are some possible corners that could fall to the Broncos? Now, you've already addressed the top three. So why don't you dish out a few names of cornerbacks you like, scheme fits for Fangio, who might end up falling to the Broncos later in the draft? Not necessarily late round, but after round one. Rocky Sin, I think, is a pretty good one. I mean, he kind of had a rough showing at the Senior Bowl early on, but he kind of bounced back. I believe he's out of Temple. I can't remember off the top of my head. And then the two Kentucky corners, Derek Beatty, Lonnie Johnson, they both fit extremely well. And with Derek Beatty, is you have the ability to switch it up because he fits in any scheme. Then you also have uh, Isaiah Johnson, I think, is the corner from Houston, who is a great athlete. He can he, he can use some technical refinement, but he's one that definitely fits the mold of what you're looking for in Fangio's defense. There's, let's see, there, Trayvon Mullen. I mean, he's a possibility. He's another one who's athletic. He's not as physical as you're looking for with Fangio's defense, but the athleticism makes up for it. And just there's quite a few others as well. And basically is most corners can fit the scheme that Fangio runs. Mm-hmm. It's just finding the best fits for it because Fangio's scheme is very reliant on safeties and linebackers providing help to the corners. So you can get by with a little bit lesser talent, so to speak at corner as well. So what are your thoughts on, you know, we saw how I'm going to get to this final question here from big goatee seven one nine here in just a second, but a quick aside. And I, and I realize we are running a little bit long here, but what are your thoughts on, you know, Fangio basically is kind of a resurgence that you saw Kyle Fuller have under Vic Fangio. And what would your thoughts be on that similar type of trajectory happening with Bradley Roby if the Broncos were to resign him? And could you see the team having an interest now that Fangio's in the fold of seeing about getting Roby back with the Denver Broncos on the free agent market? I can't. I just don't think that they have a plan for him in with their future. And that's one thing that you always got to look at with resigning players is what's the plan for the future. And again, I'm just not seeing with Bradley Roby. I've heard some things behind the scenes that also make me question them bringing him back. Obviously, maybe they're able to get him back on like a one year, $4 million prove it deal and see what he does. But I think that he's going to be looking for more money than he deserves on the open market and more money than Denver should even consider paying him after what we saw. And he'll probably get it, don't you think? Yeah. Just from that oh, leftover yeah. no-fly zone sizzle. Oh, yeah. he'll. I think he'll definitely get it, get it, get that $7, 8000000 million a year mm-hmm. annually. Yeah. All right, one more, and it's from BigGoatee719. His question is, with a torn ACL, in what round, if you're the Broncos, do you draft Jeffrey Simmons? If he's there with their second-round pick, I'd definitely take him then. I mean, you've got right now Derek Wolf, Adam Gotsis, and Shelby Harris, if he gets tendered this year, which I'd fully expect. They will all be unrestricted free agents after next season. So you get Jeffrey Simmons. You're able to basically redshirt him this year, and you have him coming back next year. That's a top-five talent that you're getting in the second round who's coming in, and he really helps damper the hit that you're taking on the defensive line with those guys being hitting the unrestricted free agency market. And basically, is I mean, I know he's got that off-field incident, but teams aren't as concerned about that and the ACL now. But Sidney Jones a couple years back, he right. was one of the top corners, and he still ended up being – he was like the 42nd overall pick, and Denver sits at the 40 with the 41st overall pick. So Whatever happened to that corner? Because that's exactly who I've been thinking of since this Simmons kid got hurt was uh, Sidney Jones from Washington, right? Yep. 
whatever happened to him in the pros? I don't, I mean, forgive he's, my ignorance. He's still with the Eagles. I'm not sure. I haven't really kept tight track on his career, but I know he did play a few games this year, at least. I'm not sure how many, and he was actually playing pretty well. I mean, there were some issues, but he was being playing like a solid corner. So what are you hearing? So take the Broncos out of it. How far do you think Simmons, this ACL, is going to see him fall in the draft in reality? Late first, early second. Guy's a top five talent. I mean, with Sidney Jones, as we were talking about, he wasn't a top five talent. It's pretty consensus that Jeffrey Simmons is a top five talent. Even with the ACL, teams are going to be looking at it. If you're a team that has a pretty strong defensive line that's going to be like Denver, have some guys getting ready to hit the open market. That's definitely a place that you'd be looking at. Or even a team that you're like, okay, maybe this year we're not going to be super competitive, but next year, like, we'll get that top five talent pick next year. We'll get another high pick next year's draft. Jeffrey Simmons, like, yeah. it's all coming into place. So I, I, I have a hard time seeing him fall out of the second or out of the first round. And if he does, he'll go within the first 10 picks of the second round. I know that our friend Nick Kendall – I think he cried into his pillow three consecutive nights when he heard about Jeffrey Simmons. So you know that if it's it's tugging on old Nick's heartstrings, it's a massive loss to the 2019 NFL draft. Yeah, I actually mentioned the idea about him to him, and he just kind of seemed iffy on it about taking Simmons in the second round with all the things coming up. And he seemed pretty set on like the third round, which was very well, questionable to me. Huh? Well, we'll see how it shakes out. In the meantime, you guys, that's going to do it for today's episode of the Huddle Up Podcast. Eric, it's been a blast. Thanks for going through the entire podcast with me. With Zach out today, I needed a, a co-host to you know hold down the fort. So thanks for joining me, brother. Thanks for having me on. I definitely enjoy it. Make sure you find Eric on Twitter, at Eric Trickle, spelled T-R-I-C-K-E-L. And again, for those of you who have not pulled the trigger on becoming VIP subscribers, you got to do so because so much of the work Eric does for our site is done behind the paywall for our subscribers. And you, you're just missing out, especially this time of year, if you're not getting access to that. You're only getting a piece of the puzzle. So take care of that. And also make sure you're following the show on Twitter, as we talked about at the top, at HuddleUpPod. And you can find my partner, Zach Kelberman, on Twitter, at Kelberman. 24-7, myself, at Chad and Jensen. Stay tuned. We will be back in the saddle with Zach for Tuesday's episode. In the meantime, for Zach, for Eric Trickle, I'm Chad Jensen. We'll talk to you soon. You've been listening to the Huddle Up Podcast. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com to keep the conversation going.